Welcome back to the FKT Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today, we're catching up with Jeff Garmeyer, who holds the overall unsupported FKT on the John Muir Trail. Join us for more about last-minute planning, hallucinations, and what goes into shaving 13 minutes off an existing record. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about your unsupported John Muir Trail record. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am really excited to chat with you today. Number one, because first of all, we've never managed to meet, even though we've done a bunch of the same things. And also because I've also attempted a JMT unsupported record and reading through your stuff, saw a lot of similarities in what I experienced out there. And I'm also just really blown away by the fact that you unsupported have the second fastest time for this route, either direction, unsupported or supported. Like that is mind blowing to anybody who has done an unsupported record or, you know, has any sort of scope. Like that is mind boggling. Like, did you meet the time you met when you went out there? Like, is this like what you had in mind? Oh, I had nothing in mind. I just had to like start this one before I realized how big or rough or vaunted of a FKT this one was. So I just basically got a permit the week before, drove out there and then just started and was like, had some metrics or times in my mind for, cause I, I've done that route many times, but mm-hmm. didn't really know what was possible or anything. And of course, going from the Valley to Whitney is the slower direction apparently, but not for, I guess, <laughs> not, for me you. And, not for me and Joe. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was really one of the, probably of everything I've done, this had the most question marks and was the most unknown because I don't know, I was just, had no clue what I was capable of or what would even happen out there. So just, just started and, you know, just <laughs> took everything as it came. That's pretty amazing. And I mean, you mentioned Joe. So obviously Joe McConaughey was out there just, I think, two weeks before your attempt. And he set a stunning time of three days and one hour, which you then proceeded to take 13 minutes off of going the same direction, this slow direction. So I think Joe must have the third fastest time. So how did that impact you? Did you know Joe had set the record? You said you you decided this like a week before. So you had probably seen that he had set this time, right? Yeah. Yeah, we talked a little bit leading up. I knew he was going for the record most of the year. Yeah, and I yeah told him I was going to give it a go. But yeah, it didn't impact anything. In fact, him setting the record was really the push to go give it a shot, I guess. Yeah, it just seemed untouchable since it hadn't been broken since, I believe, 2018. And so it it was a good chunk of time and it had grown in my mind as something I'd wanted to do for about three years and him breaking it was like, all right, I'll just go out there and give it my best shot. And so that's, right. it just made it more attainable almost, even by the time getting more difficult to attack, it was like, or yeah, to even approach was just like, okay, he went after it and did it. I think I could at least be competitive. I'll go give it a shot and... I don't know. It it felt like it just took the pressure off of this time in my mind of Aurelian Sanchez having it for four years or something. It just made it more approachable that now I've been broken. It's like, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Who knows? And that's exactly how I approached it. Whereas other things, it's been very mapped out. Like 
I don't know, like the long trail. It's like, I'm very sure I can, I can get this if I just push how I know I can. This one was like, I'll push how I think I can, but I don't know if I'll come out with this or not. So it was a very different mindset than a lot of things. Yeah, I've never really thought about it like that, but that kind of makes sense. You know, like when you have a, a long-standing record, it almost seems impossible. Like you get this sort of sense of permanence about it. Um, for Because for a while there, the John Muir Trail was just like every year getting lowered, you know, once a year at least, sometimes two or three. I don't remember which year. I feel like every category, it got lowered at least twice in one year. Maybe that was 2018. But yeah, it's kind of sat for a while. And yeah, it does. Um, having somebody break a record that seems like it's pretty strong can definitely, I think, make it seem more possible for you going out there. Yeah, I think it's all of these are so psychological. And I mean, you can have probably this range of fitness that's like from pretty decent or quite fit to your very fittest. But if you don't have that psychological side, that like, I don't know, that means way more and just making it feel more approachable of freshly broken and exchanging some messages with Joe is just like, eh, whatever, I'll just go try this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can convince your body to do a lot of things if you have the mental aspect dialed in. Yeah. And I think and you would know this as well as anyone is it's not this like sprint the whole way that I think sometimes FKT conveys is it's that like zone two or something that you're staying in for just so many hours a day that, yeah, it's more that longevity throughout an attempt versus that actual like peak, I don't know, ultra running style fitness type thing. So yeah, it's very different. And for some reason it just felt like the right time and here we are. Yeah. I mean, you got to go with it when it feels right. Uh, you mentioned that, this is the slower direction starting north to south. So for people who aren't as familiar with the Sierra, starting in Yosemite Valley and finishing on Whitney, although you finished at the portal and you'd be starting at the lower elevation, working yourself to the higher elevation. So if this is traditionally the slower direction, why did you choose to go this way? Uh, because permits are really hard. Um, mm -hmm. So there's no walk-up permits for overnight from Whitney or walk up, which essentially now means online a week before, but there are starting in Yosemite for the John Muir trail. So I think me and Joe both had to go or got to go this direction because of how the permit system works. But if I was even 1% more of a planner, I might've like thought about this six months ahead of time and had a permit from the portal to Yosemite. So it was entirely permit driven and, uh, yeah, it worked out. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I was actually kind of curious about that. Permits were something I wanted to ask about because I remember like when I made my attempt, I didn't get to go at the time of year I wanted to go because this is when I got my permit. And so, it's, yeah, it is interesting how I think this is probably one of the only FKTs I can think of where permitting really heavily impacts like the FKTs because of, you know, your direction and not being able to get walk-ups for Whitney and that sort of thing. Um, what did you do for like, I guess you just kind of showed up and did they have a permit ready for you, like a walk-in or were you, did you have to wait a few days? Like what was the process like? Yeah. So I think newly after COVID they started doing, so they reserve about a third of permits for they call it walk-up, but basically it opens, the permit system opens for those walk-up permits one week before 
exactly at like 8 a.m. or something, 7 a.m. And that's when you can grab your permit for uh, Happy Isles overnight into Yosemite. And so I just got mine exactly seven days before I started and then I was locked in. But I did this three times throughout the summer thinking I would go after the record and each time I would just cancel it the day the day after because I just I don't know after having failed a couple things and you know been able to succeed at quite a few I just knew I wasn't didn't really have that mindset of when it gets really hard I'm gonna push even harder so I canceled them leading up and then Joe said it and that was the final push to be like yeah I'll stick with this permit got a date that is good enough hope for a good weather window and just go from there. Right. Yeah. Weather can be very much a problem for this route. Like having a good weather window is really crucial. Yeah. It's often really good weather, but then there's like that smoke aspect too, or Mm -hmm. wind and things, especially if you're getting a permit for what we're calling the faster way, which needs to be proven, I think now, um, (laughs) uh, is it's a lot of luck, even like a week out, like a fire started a few days after I did the got the FKT is yeah these which I think accentuates all the aspects of every FKT is Mm -hmm. there are these luck things involved because you're decide to go for it and you're planning for at least a couple weeks or whatever for any (laughs) FKT which is usually as much planning as I can do right Um, but but you don't know like they don't even know the weather two weeks out so yeah a lot of a lot of luck in there too For sure. And you mentioned smoke, which is definitely becoming more and more of a factor with, I mean, all outdoor recreation in the Mm. West, especially, Um, but especially like, you know, FKTs and through hikes in general, because, you know, your air quality can just be so horrendous. And I don't know, like after doing my calendar year triple crown, like I can't, I mean, this year, I think, so it's like six years ago. I think this year is the first time I can like be around a campfire and not like, just like have a gag reflex because I hiked through oh. so much smoke, you know, yeah, and just breathe so much in. And I can't imagine wanting to do that again. Like, I feel like if I showed up for an FKT and there was a fire, I'd just be like, forget it. I'm done. Like I'm going home. Yeah. The little factors like that too. And each adventure kind of builds on its last one is yeah. Smoke and like wind really bothers me just in thunderstorms I'm really cautious of because during the same issues on when I did the calendar year triple crown I seemed to hit every thunderstorm at the worst time and had to like run over the tops of mountains so yeah it's it's interesting like each of those factors that we all are like so avoidant of and stuff too right yeah I feel like too like the more you do I mean maybe it doesn't work this way for everybody for me the more I do the more avoidant I am of certain things. I'm like, smoke is just not worth it for me anymore. You know, like I've done that. Like, I'm just not going to do it again. Yeah, swimming across frozen rivers is kind of like out for me now. (laughs) Oh my God. I just remember like when you did that and I'm like, what is wrong with him? Like when you swam across the Kennebec, I was like, he's going to die. Yeah, I think the Bangor paper told Rhoda something up that I'm an idiot too. And it's like, I can't really argue, but I was pretty hungry and out of food. I don't swim very well either. So it's extremely not a good idea. So back to the JMT. So you live in Montana and I know you do a lot of training at altitude. Did altitude bother you or do you think it impacted your JMT? Like, or did you feel like you got enough acclimatization like in that week prior to do well up there? It impacted me a little bit. I noticed, especially in the back half, like maybe 
so when you hit the high passes, I would notice at the top of the passes, but living at 5,000 feet and usually running at seven to eight helped a lot. It was just noticeable enough that it was like, I'm not going to hang out at altitude too much. And, uh, yeah, that, yeah, I could feel it, but it wasn't the hindrance that it would have been when I lived like at sea level or something. So I guess, yeah, if everything was perfect and had all the resources, I certainly would have spent a little more time at altitude, but I think going into it with all these question marks made none of them really sit in my mind and overwhelm me at all of like, well, is it going to be too much altitude or I haven't done back-to-back big days like this in a while. So all these little things weighed less in my mind because there were so many of them, I think, more than anything. Any one of these could like be a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just not going to worry about any of them. <laughs> Welcome to my life. That's how I live. <laughs> it's probably something to be said for that. So uh, you mentioned you've been through this area many times, and I'm kind of curious, like I've never done this route southbound. So how did it compare when you were to like your northbound trips? Obviously, you weren't doing FKTs going northbound, but what was it like to hike through the Sierras that way? I think that was a fun part of it is I got to just like take this 220 mile route and flip it and try to like sequentially think about which things came next. And that was like a pretty fun little exercise along the way or even, I don't know, like per- or Virginia Lake or something, turning around and looking back at it the way I would have gone before and every time I've done it there's been at least a little bit of snow so it was very cool to see the same area in a completely different time of year. Um, I do think it helped in the sense that you start like 4,000 feet or maybe even lower um, in Yosemite and then you kind of go up and down not really hitting well you hit 11 at Donahue but you don't go too high and you stay fairly low and then you hit the the bulk of the elevation or at least the altitude on the second half. And so that helped going this way. It was also cool to kind of tick off landmarks and things, being so familiar with the route. It was like, at this point, this is where I turned and went over Mammoth Pass and went into Mammoth one time, and then like Virginia Lake, and then, I don't know, each of the five high passes, and then Whitney. It was cool to have this like mental map of, really attainable micro goals that made up this longer route. Cause right around 200 miles, I think is where it's not really probably healthy or even possible to imagine the entire length of what you're doing. So breaking it up into these manageable chunks was just second nature. And I think really aided in the mindset throughout the whole thing. I feel like every FKT I've ever attempted or, or done, like anytime I thought about the whole thing, I would just start crying. It was just too much. Like there was, it was never okay to think about the whole thing. And that's why this one was fun is I always think three days is the number where it's like you start and then you're in day one. And then it's day two is always that weird day where it can be like, well, tomorrow I could be, or 24 hours or something, I could be finished or whatever. Um, So that was a really good way to stretch that like, mental way to think about things. Whereas when I've done like a six or seven day thing, it's, you're like, okay, I've been going for two days, but I have tomorrow and the next day, and maybe I'll finish the next day. And that's impossible. It's like the worst way. Yeah. It's, it's makes me want to just lie down and quit because it's right. so far. And this was a fun way to, to just stretch that 
that realm of thinking, I guess. Yeah. So the John Muir Trail and Pacific Crest Trail are not concurrent the entire way. Mm-hmm. Um, the main split being between Yosemite and Red's Meadow. Had you done the JMT through there or was that all new terrain to you? Yeah, I did it on my first trip, first through hike in 2011. So mm-hmm. I had that. And then in 2019, I did the John Muir Trail just straight through. So I hadn't had that experience too, but that was another big, cool little, um, I guess, landmark to have in my mind too. Like knowing that you've paralleled that, that little thing. Cause all it is, is endless, not really mind games, but you have the 72 hour window plus to think is, it was kind of cool to think back on experiences. I mean, like the PCT is just like 10 miles as the crow flies over that way or something. So yeah, I hadn't, have a lot of time in the Sierra. They seem to draw me back even when I move far away. Yeah, they're very, they're a very special place. Yeah, certainly. So I'm kind of curious about what your navigation and tracking tools were for an effort like this, because it's just long enough. Like, did you, do you have a watch that was able to like stay on this entire time? Because it's just kind of just on that border of length where you might need to recharge devices. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was uh, one of the major things I actually planned for and thought of. But uh, my watch uh, lasts the whole time, so that wasn't an issue. Didn't even have a charger. It's one of the Koros that lasts for like a couple weeks or something. So I just had that tracking the whole time. I had it's similar to an inReach, but it's a somewhere that just transmits like a location. I had to recharge that just for like thirty minutes or something one day just to make sure because it was getting low and then the major thing with recharging was um i had two headlamps and they were both rechargeable and so i could if one died in the middle of the night i could charge or i could put on the other one while that one's recharging so that was the big um i guess gear thing with recharging and then my phone was as needed but didn't use that a ton i used just gps track on there to sure when I was tired that I was going the right way, but it came back really well. And I've actually made a few wrong turns over my life in this year. So I was, I knew where the, uh, the easy places to go the wrong way were and was very sure I was going the correct direction. But yeah, the rotating headlamps was a game changer, something that just made it easy to always have one headlamp ready to go and one charging up for backup. Speaking of headlamps, I noticed in your your finished photo, it is broad daylight, but you are wearing your headlamps <laughs> on your head. Is that like a fashion statement or is that just where you keep it so you know that it's <laughs> where it's at? Oh, like... yeah. I would say all of those or mostly just freaking out that, you know, I'm up against a 13 minute buffer by the time I finish. So it changed from like night to day as I'm on top of Whitney, just coming down and I did not know anything I was wearing at that point. I was wearing shorts and like the teens on top of Whitney and people were surprised yet. I didn't know anything going on. And that's, yeah, funny. I didn't even, I don't think I've gone back and looked, but I'm sure I have that on. And yeah, it was just, didn't think anything of it. I'm surprised I even remembered to turn it off. Full disclosure, I noticed that because I am guilty of that. Like, I'm just like, so focused on what I'm doing that it's like noon and somebody's like, why are you wearing your headlamp? I'm like, oh, <laughs> like just 
forgot it was there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just felt felt normal wearing it, but yeah. Usually <laughs> yeah. it's in like a hip belt pocket, so it's accessible. But apparently, I'm starting to wear it on my head all the time. Oh, you know. I should be wearing one right now. There yeah. you go. New technique. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the night aspect uh, now that we're talking about headlamps and you've posted a lot of um, really great uh, reels and things like that on Instagram. And I really enjoyed watching some of those and they brought back some memories for me of hallucinations. And the thing that really struck me is you talked about falling asleep while moving and waking up on the ground. And I have done that when I attempted the JMT and I don't know anybody else actually that has fallen asleep running and ended up like on the ground or like in the bushes, like while moving. And so has that ever happened to you before? Or is this just something that just happens on the JMT? <laughs> it only happens on the JMT. I like things have gotten weird to a point, but not like that where like, I, yeah, I knew things were a mess, but not like a, luckily it's like soft gravelly. It was sort of between Whitney and Crabtree Meadow, or not Whitney, uh, Forrester and Crabtree Meadow. So it was like soft-ish gravelly stuff, but I just like fell asleep apparently and woke up on the ground. And that was quite a, a thing to realize. And it, I think it kind of saved the FKT is like, okay, well this I cannot do for 20 more miles. It came down to, well, there's only one decision and it's not wasting, but using 15 or so minutes to nap because I cannot, I'm not even functioning like this. So I got to do a little reset nap and then woke up from that and just, that's when adrenaline surged and was able to push towards the finish. But yeah, I think it's only on the JMT because it's, it really is special because it's smooth enough, fast enough, not too steep where you can nearly push the whole thing and just fall into this massive deficit of sleep but not quite like you're gonna hit something or it's just just barely out of reach to just take a couple naps and make it so i think maybe that's what pushes it because 20 miles to the end it's feels so far yet so close and you think you could push but that's when your body's like no we're we're not we're sleeping so yeah I think it's something too with like going into like that second or third night without sleeping, you know, depending on how well you slept the night before. Cause like the only other, I've never fallen asleep while running other, but the only other time I've had extreme like hallucinations and fatigue like that were like when I did plane and Barkley where I was going into like my second night without any sleep, not having slept well the night before. And JMT was similar. And I feel like there's a certain point where your body is just like, you are going to sleep whether you stop first or not. <laughs> that's up to you. Yeah, we're going to fall asleep if you don't let us sleep and you just end up on the ground. It it really is so weird how the body reacts. And I certainly hallucinated on this one, but slightly less. It was more like these like massive just vision or body things where it felt like I was walking or running through an earthquake, not really certainly seeing a few things, but not like like the last night on the Arizona trail or like the long trail. This was more like you are just in like an earthquake feeling thing where your equilibrium's off, you your eyes are closed, yet you still have adrenaline, so you're trying to push through it. It, it was a very different experience, but I don't know. I guess it was fun. I guess all <laughs> these are fun. I don't know. Like, 
I certainly knew something would happen. So I guess right. it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, t a certain type of person to be like, that was fun, you know, and <laughs> can do it over and over. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned a lot of the hallucinations were like where you saw like, you know, tree stumps that were like weird animals or, or people or whatever. And I feel like that was my primary hallucination out there as well. I never experienced what you were talking about, like with the earthquake feeling like <laughs> that's really interesting. Like your whole inner ear was like, stop. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty wild. And yeah, sometimes I'd feel like it was going uphill and things are shaking when I'm jogging downhill. It was, it was very weird. And I just knew going into that last night that I tried to nap and salvage some sleep going into that third night, but just nothing really worked. So I had this massive like pit of anxiety of like, this is going to be interesting. Cause it's like, <laughs> I get to finish, but I have to get through all the darkness and then I will finish. And mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was just weird knowing that I have to make it through one more night and it was yeah. not going to be easy. The night is always hard. It, and no matter whether it's the first night or the third night, it's always a bit hard. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I love going through the night, the first night. Like, I think it's so fun, especially I think of it like, I get to be out here doing this and everyone else is asleep and missing out. And I think it's so mm -hmm. fun. And then you throw a couple more nights on there and it's like, this is not as fun. I want to be sleeping. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's just that visible shift from I'm really enjoying it. The stars are magnificent. It's really cool to be out here to like, oh gosh, I'm having nightmares and it's still the evening because I have to go through this whole night again. There's something to be said for like the hundred mile distance because then you just have that first night. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's the first night's where I thrive. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Did you have any experiences? Like, I know you said you took a couple of different dirt naps. Did you, and you had your navigation device. Did you have any moments where you got up and you started going the wrong direction initially? Or were you pretty much always going the right way? I've done this before, um, but I was pretty good about going the right way. Usually if I, like maybe the tail end of night two and then night three, of course, I would do two different things to make sure I went the right way. And one is point my tracking poles the direction I got to go on the trail. Mm -hmm. And then I would always double check the navigation to make sure that I'm going the right way. But those two checks usually confirmed because, yeah, even if you're five feet off the trail, it can be like, well, which way was I even going? Because you, yeah, yeah you lose common sense first. So I think that that's the main thing. Yeah. And like the, that short nap too, like you just, you wake up from it and you're not really rested. You're like kind of reset, but then you're just like, where am I? And what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Which way do I go? Especially when it's like, all right, I woke up, I'm ready. I got to move immediately. And it's like, but which way? Which so. way? Especially if it's dark. I, yeah. I meant, I went the wrong way on the JMT for several hours in the dark and I definitely like from now on, like, I think I was telling Joe this, that he thought it was hilarious. I'm like, ever since then, I only sleep on the right side of the trail. Like, it's kind of my like mnemonic. I'm like, so I know which way to go when I wake up. And I also sometimes will like draw an arrow with my foot or whatever, if there's dust or whatever that I can draw it in. But it was so like crushing to be realized when I had gone the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Wow, yeah. I don't have anything like that long, but I did take a nap just after Mather Pass. Like it was early morning or mid morning and I just was like five minutes and I think the whole day will go better. So I took a five minute nap and I got up, um, put my pack on, started 
like running down the trail. And I was like, why are my hands empty? I don't have my poles. So I turned around and ran all the way uphill. It was probably oh, only no. between a quarter and a half mile, but it was just like, ah, I'm so dumb. Like, and then from then I just set my poles right on top of the pack or the tail end or something. But yeah, you have to have those experiences to learn them. Just even like yeah. going the correct direction and wrong turns in the Sierra. I remember I was cutting it close on food um, in 2016 and I went the wrong direction for like five hours and ran out of food and was like, well, I'm not oh even going to make it to mammoth tonight. So oh, yeah, God. it's like, I will never make that mistake again. So if you learn the hard way, you learn pretty yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is true. The harder the lesson is like the better you remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So you mentioned food and running out. I thought it was really interesting reading about your food issues on the JMT. It sounds like if I understood what you wrote, you only ate 50% of the calories you intended. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Because that's that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. I had this issue in a few things this year, actually, where just like I ran 100 and I the last 75 miles, I only drank caffeine and like had one or two pretzels per aid station. So this has been an ongoing <laughs> thing that I probably need to focus on. But yeah, yeah. The, I packed around, I think it turned out being similar to Joe's strategy of maybe, oh man, 5,000 calories a day, something like mm -hmm. that. And I got through maybe 4,500 on day one and then right over Donahue Pass at mile like, 45 or something I started like peeing a not good color to pee and this was like the beginning of a lot of issues and along with them went a lot of appetite so I just started just cherry picking what I could eat which was mostly like crackers or something just really bland easy stuff and yeah I would eat as much as I could but half of every day was left when I when I finished it just it was like an appetite thing and I don't know, just enough for my body to keep going, but sort of alarming too. I did the Wonderland Trail with a friend two weeks later and I was still eating John Muir Trail snacks and I hadn't eaten because <laughs> I'm frugal. Well, at least it didn't go bag. to waste. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. It was pretty shocking how little I ate, I guess, which mm -hmm. is... I don't know, maybe I should underpack next time, but it's just impossible yeah. to estimate because on the Colorado Trail, those nine days unsupported, I managed to eat everything and finish hungry. So it was the perfect amount, but same mm -hmm. strategy didn't work on three days. So this mm -hmm. is uh, the fun of FKTs. You can pack whatever <laughs> you want. You can start whenever you want and you have no idea how it's going to go in between. Right. Yeah, I was actually kind of curious to know if it was similar to what you did on the Colorado Trail, because those are my only two failed attempts are the Colorado Trail and the John Muir Trail unsupported. And lack of being ability to eat was a big part of both of those. And I just always attributed it to altitude. But it sounds like mm -hmm. maybe that wasn't the issue because for you, at least, because you were able to eat everything on the Colorado Trail, but not so much on the Trail. So, so yeah, this might be this might be a way that the altitude subtly impacted it is eating well that first day and then slowly the um, just will or desire to eat left me in the because the second half is much higher. So maybe mm -hmm. that has something to do with it. But yeah, it was shocking. Yeah. Used a strategy mm -hmm. that has worked for me before and it didn't work.
<laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Your body is so different every time. And I think that that's something that's like hard to remember sometimes is that just because your body has done similar things doesn't mean it's going to be the exact same way in similar conditions. <laughs> yeah. Everything's the same. And for some reason, the body's different the next time. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a continual puzzle to solve, but yeah, I think yeah. that's kind of the fun thing too, is it's like, well, I, I'm not hungry. I'm obviously not eating enough and just going through my food and trying to eat one, one cracker at a time or something <laughs> is it's that thing where people are like, Oh, are you bored out there? It's like, no, I'm like solving how to eat. I'm deciding how much I want to sleep. I'm remembering yeah. when I was here five years ago or something. It's, it's amazing how full each FKT or effort is. And it's like mm -hmm. boredom is the last thing that you feel because oh, yeah. it's, it's packed with just things going on internally and externally that I think is why I love them. It's the most exciting thing where from the outside, someone just sees you like walking or slowly jogging. It doesn't look like it's <laughs> that immersive, but it, it doesn't really look is. like much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a good point too. Like, I feel like not that I get bored per se when I'm out just like on a normal long run or a through hike, but I feel like I'm so much more in the present moment on an FKT because I feel like at every moment you have to be paying attention to your body. You're constantly trying to solve problems and optimize, like, especially, you know, like when it starts to hit the fan, you know, and you're like, is this color of my pee bad? Like, do I, how worried should I be? Like, is the fact that like now I'm hallucinating, you know, things that aren't there, like a problem. Do I have altitude sickness? Why can't I eat more than one cracker per hour? Like you're so like, focused inward I mean in addition to like experiencing what's around you like there is no opportunity for anything else yeah and you become a math genius too when you're like doing the how many miles a day or where I want to be at a certain time it's like it's crazy the problems you can solve it's like when my calculator yeah. on my phone gets the most use out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah some people become math geniuses I am not a math genius <laughs> at any point I generally have no idea what I'm doing or how it relates to anything, but yeah, I usually have to write down what time I need to like finish by or something because especially if it's multiple days, just trying to count is impossible. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, I have to look at my phone to even know what day it is after a certain point. Cause like for me, after I've been up through like a day and a night and then I'm going through another day and like, and I'm just like, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Yeah, you know. exactly. When I finished, I was texting my friend is like, wow, it's pretty quiet out here for a Sunday. He's like, dude, it's Monday. It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so. like you just lose all track like of clock time because it doesn't matter. Like it's irrelevant to what you're doing. And this was cool because it was one of the shorter duration ones I've done yet still got to completely disconnect and immersion into the attempt and solely focus on one goal and then not even know what day it was. It was really good illustration of like, I don't have to do something that's two weeks long to get into that mindset, which I really love where you just solely focused on one goal. It took probably like five hours to, from the start to be like, all right, I'm in the middle of this and going for two and a half more days or something. It was, that was a good lesson of it doesn't always have to be a week long or two weeks three days can satisfy. Yeah, absolutely. In some ways, I think they're, they're better because it's over sooner, <laughs> but like you get that full like immersion, but then like you're done, you know, you, you just, I feel like you get to that point where you're just like, oh my God, I can't keep doing this. And then you're done. 
instead of yeah. like, oh, I actually have another week of this, you know, or whatever. Well, like the Arizona Trail is like you are in this preservation mode for like a week and then you're like slowly pushing it and then you're like, okay, now for three or four days I got a sprint. But luckily getting rid of that preservation mode up front makes it a little more exciting and less tedious of questioning how many hours of sleep to do on a longer attempt. And so, yeah, this was a really good example of, all right, take everything else away, maybe plan for a few minutes or a little bit of sleep. But other than that, you can just try it however you want. <laughs> what went into your training for this? Like, it, Obviously, it sounds like it was a little bit of a last minute decision. So maybe you weren't specifically training for the JMT, but Kind of how, how does your training look for, I mean, you're constantly doing things. So what does it look like for you? Um, lots of vert, lots of just mountain days where maybe the watch is running, but not really looking at speed or anything. But yeah, I'm really big on the leave the car with everything you are going to eat at least, maybe fill up some water along the way. And that's probably two to three days a week if I can pull it off. And then in between then maybe like, town runs or be semi-social or something but uh the i think the base is really big in a lot of attempts and what i do so it's just these this focus on big mountain days and a lot of vert just stacking up the vert and this year i actually raced quite a bit more so i i don't know i did a bunch of races and so i had this like faster i don't know was used to going a little bit faster and with less stuff on so that was a big point in like the week leading up is I went out and did maybe 35, 40 miles with just what I carried from the car and put some water in there with like 15,000 feet of gain. It was just like getting used to this more, there aren't aid stations type feel and a little bit heavier pack was really the only adjustment going in because I did pretty poorly and didn't eat at a hundred miler in late July. And so a month later I did the John Muir Trail. Doing worse at that made my body feel better for the John Muir Trail. I mean, it's like yeah. a lot of stomach issues. So yeah, it was more just the summer in Montana where you just go, go, go. And then in the last week it snowed. So it's like, okay, we can finally rest. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's the training style of everyone's doing everything you can to maximize our glorious four months out here. And then we're back to hibernating. I'm surprised you even get four months <laughs> <laughs> on a good year. Yeah. 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 So that actually kind of brings me to the, to the flip side of that. How is your recovery like specific to the JMT, but also in general, like your, do you have like a recovery cycle that you go through? Oh man. Uh, I just mostly l figure out or listen or to my body, see how things are. But um, I would say I don't, take a lot of time off ever it's more i will get back out in the mountains but only hiking or just get out there and do something shorter but the big downtime or resting up or things like that is i don't know it's pretty foreign i guess so i think finish this and then two weeks later ran the wonderland trail in one push so it's very I don't know. I'm not a good person to look to for recovery tips. I would say the main thing is like, just, I really like when there's that major soreness or something is do something very low level, but also do something is, 
yeah, like there's plenty of good hiking and stuff too. And I mean, that's how I started everything. So I'm really big on just, unless there's an injury, avoiding those massive lapses of three or four weeks off to recover. But I don't know. I'm no, no expert. It works for me. And it, it helps me avoid that major mental letdown after a trail too, is like, I initially started doing all this simply because I like being out there and that's what I try to hold on throughout, especially if it's clouded with an accomplishment or notoriety or something. It's like still got to take those hours for me of just being out there and don't have to post anything on social media. So it's being really cautious and careful that never lose sight of getting out there and it doesn't have to be very fast. It can just be like, wow, I get to live in Montana where it's pretty awesome this time of year. I better keep taking advantage is the mindset. I think that makes good sense. I mean, I think being intuitive with your body and and being willing to not be pushing yourself at the highest level all the time. I think that is like probably the best recovery vice, honestly. Like I think I fell into that trap of like feeling like I had to be at the top level all the time and never like giving myself like time to just be out there for a while. And, you know, you end up injured or burned out, you know, it can be really hard. Like if you're used to like, um, just going hard all the time to just be like, all right, today, I'm just going to go for a hike or whatever. Those moments or outings or days, there need to be way more of them that are for you personally or internal than this be at the highest level and like, even run with fast people in town and have to like be competitive. I think it's really easy to approach that line of those doing more harm than good is you don't get to run your best race every single day or something, but you can at least build or acknowledge the why you want to go run a race at some point or be out there on most days. So I think that's what I try to focus on of, I want to be out here. That's the only goal. I can be out here at any speed and just letting myself do that. Whereas like something going up on Strava that's slower, it's like, I need to completely not care. Like this doesn't matter. And people probably don't even look at this anyways. It's all this, there's so many ways to set a trap for ourselves. Like we got to be impressive all the time. Whereas I think the, the only people we're trying to impress or even letting down sometimes are kind of ourselves. Right. I think my last question is probably like the most important question. And I really want to know this. I'm sure your audience wants to know this. Does the tiger shirt have another FKT in it? Yeah, probably. It's <laughs> my first and well, maybe I've sewed a couple more things since, but yeah, I think it's got plenty more FKTs in it. I'd love to try for something like the Tahoe rim trail or something like that. So yeah, I'd love to pull it out and, and take it for more. But after the Colorado trail where my arms got pretty sunburned, I've learned I have to bring a healthy dose of sunscreen to uh, yeah. be able to wear that cut off custom sewn up tiger hoodie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sunscreen is super important. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. And these yeah. unsupported things, I think that things like that are like, no one ever forgets food or a water bottle really, but you forget things like sunscreen or chapstick mm -hmm. and those are the most annoying things when it's like well i'm unsupported i don't get this for however many days so right it's yeah another one of those lessons the hard way like this yeah. is so bad for me to get sunburned but i don't know what to do 
Exactly. Yeah. And there's really nothing you can do about it when you're unsupported. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The joy of unsupported. Once you start, that's it. Good luck. That's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and chatting about all things FKT and especially the JMT. It was great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks again, Jeff, for coming on the show. You can check out all his FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com. And follow him on Instagram, The Free Outside. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is Heather on the FKT Podcast. <laughs>